Good morning, mutineers. This is the bee coming at you. Labor and Love Radio. We started out with a little Huey Lewis, a little piece of Huey Lewis in the news, celebrating the strike victory by Marriott Hotel workers. More about that later. Songs of Social Significance. I'm tired of moon songs, of star and of June songs. They simply make me nap. And ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic. I think they're all full of pap. History's making, nations are quaking. Why sing of stars above? For while we are waiting, Father Time's creating new things to be singing of. Sing me a song with social significance All other tunes are taboo I want a ditty with heat in it Appealing with feeling and meat in it Sing me a song with social significance Or you can sing till you're blue Let meaning shine from every line Or I won't love you Sing me of wars and sing me of breadlines. Tell me of front page news. Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines. Dress your observation in syncopation. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must get hot with what is what or I won't love you. a song that's satirical putting the mirror into miracle it must be packed with social fact or I won't love you sing me of kings and conferences marshal tell me of mills and mines sing me of courts that aren't impartial what's to be done with them tell me in rhythm sing me a song with social significance there's nothing else that will do it must be tense with common sense or i won't love you
Lewis in the knee.
Okay, here comes Dolly. Nine to five. What a way to make a living. Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five Watching the ships roll in Then I watch them roll away again Sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Thank you Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Hey, hey Thanks now I left my home in joy Headed for that Frisco Bay I had nothing to live for Looked like nothing gonna come 
shelter sitting on the dock of the bay watching the tide roll away oh i'm sitting on the dock of the bay facing time i live my Good morning, mutineers. Welcome to Labor and Love Radio. This is the B. Every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 and archived on the mutinyradio.fm website slash backslash podcasts archives and this is the labor and love show where we tell you how it is it's all about labor if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get as a worker your job is to produce a surplus that your boss can take or some CEO bo- CEO or some board can take and do whatever they want with. 
Second, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And third, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor is life. How are you going to spend it? Do you have a choice? Do you have to take some job and spend your life doing something you're not that crazy about? Maybe. Maybe. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And I'd just like to remind you, if you ever see people or hear people saying, well, I'm just not that into politics. You're not that into politics. Your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is. They're way into politics. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you health coverage. It's time to get into politics. Okay, the Labor and Love show today. What do we got? Well, Marriott workers have settled their strike, their long strike now that was in five or six weeks long all over the country. Thousands, tens of thousands of Marriott workers went on strike. And the last strike to be settled was the one in San Francisco, which was just recently settled. How about a teacher's strike? A teacher's strike now at a charter school. Yes, believe it or not, that's what's happening. How about United Students Against Sweatshops? On November 28, 2018, a coalition of organizations and students from all nine UCs sent UC-wide demands. Anyway, we'll get into that. Big news there as young people pick up the gauntlet. A charter school strike, as we mentioned, in Chicago. San Francisco Marriott workers. Okay. As usual, we've got Radio Labor and their worldwide report on what's happening around the world. What are the yellow jackets in France, the yellow vest movements? What is that about? Okay. We started you out with Huey Lewis and the News, a part of Huey Lewis and the News, playing Heart of Rock and Roll. They started out with a song called Wake Hard, Work Hard, Play Hard, but uh, that one cut off. So he played the Heart of Rock and Roll. Huey Lewis and the News, then Sing Me a Song of Social Significance. That's the kind of music you'll hear on Labor and Love Radio. 
Dolly Parton with her 9 to 5 song, big hit like 1980-81, I want to say. And finally, another one of those playing for change, around the world versions of Dock of the Bay, about a presumably unemployed man who's doesn't have anything going on in his life and he's sitting at the dock of the bay as he says wasting time also we've got uh, Fred Glass Fred Glass is the author of a book called Golden Lands Working Hands a film called Golden Lands Working Hands and a book now called From Mission to Microchip both both celebrating the labor movement in California, the history of the California labor movement. So we're going to play an excerpt from that. Uh, it was in December 1946, I believe. We'll look that up. Um, that the last... Uh, general strike in a major American city took place. And where would that be? It's a good thing to talk to your friends about. Where was the last general strike in a major American city? Oakland, California. Yes, sir. Oakland, California. We called it a work holiday. Although California unions emerged from the war years bigger than they had ever been, their size hides a potential weakness. Many newcomers don't know how their brothers and sisters won their rights and paychecks in the hard battles of the pre-war years. Most labor leaders have added responsibilities and worries. Teaching new workers about unionism takes time that's hard to find. This soon becomes a problem. The wartime workers are over, many employers want to bring back after the war, and uh, I think we needed to get our share. The industry had sure made theirs during the war. And we were all, uh, you had uh, wage and price controls, so most of us, we were locked into, uh, into wages. Wages have to be frozen, Joe. The workers are making too much money for their own good, and prices haven't risen very much. In response to the boss's anti-labor offensive, working people launched the greatest wave of strikes in the United States history. Across the country, millions of workers walk picket lines shutting down entire industries. Many are World War II veterans, disturbed at their poor treatment after fighting for their country. In Hollywood, 
Thousands of craft workers organized in the left-wing conference of studio unions, led by set painter Herb Sorrell, battled the studio bosses, the police, and another union. Roy Brewer, a leader of the International Association of Theatrical and Stage Employees, brings strikebreakers across the picket lines. He hopes his members will keep these jobs. Brewer claims his opponent Sorrell is a communist and skillfully develops this idea into a publicity strategy for the studios. In an atmosphere of growing anti-communist hysteria, Brewer's tactic works well. The conference of studio unions is soon broken up. Many of its members lose their jobs or have to switch unions to keep working. Along with prominent actors, writers, and directors, Sorrell is investigated and blacklisted. He never works in Hollywood again. Despite his troubles, Sorrell takes the time to send a message of support northward to AFL brothers and sisters involved in another story. In Oakland, California, a general strike tied up the entire area. Bus and train service ceased to exist in a dispute characterized by Dave Beck, teamster leader in the far west area, as a lot of foolishness and more like a revolution than an industrial dispute. Meanwhile, the lives of nearly three quarters of a million people had been affected. Hold on. Did you understand what you just saw? I didn't. The perspective of the newsreel seems to be that these Oakland workers were doing something senseless. Using the same film footage, perhaps we could imagine another perspective. Something like this. Owners of Cons and Hastings department stores refused to recognize a union favored by their employees. Hundreds of clerks went out on strike. Police beat up picketers and helped the Retail Merchants Association bring goods across picket lines. Outraged Oakland unionists called a general strike. For two days, Oakland stood still until owners and the city agreed to negotiate with workers' representatives. Okay, we've heard two different sets of facts. The newsreel selected some, we selected others. But each version of the story is missing something. Perhaps the striking workers themselves should be heard from. I was working in the shoe department, and I was making, uh, I believe, uh, $28 a week at that time, and, uh, you know, just getting out of the service. The only problem was that when I found, after talking to other people, and in specialty stores just, such as Peter Brothers and, and Cushions, uh, they were making $10 or better a week, better than I was. And I went to the union and uh, asked why they didn't organize the store. These people came on back, and I mean, you know, my uh, brother Americans uh, and, and also the gals that came back from the war. And, and when they held out their hand for just a little piece of pie, the answer was no. One employer whose voice says no the loudest is Joseph Noland, publisher of the Oakland Tribune and longtime spokesman for conservative business interests. His newspaper labels moderate unionists extreme elements and warns of an impending communist takeover of Oakland. Nolan dominated the uh, politics in Oakland, and he had the, the Tribune, which was his voice. And uh, everyone felt that all the decisions for the city were made at the Tribune Tower, not at City Hall. Very, very conservative, mm -hmm. very anti-union. His paper was something that we got every day to read and then got mad about. <laughs> Along with Nolan, another major anti-union force in Oakland is the Retail Merchants Association. It demands 
that the retail clerks union organize all 28 stores in the association before it will recognize the union at Cannes and Hastings. What precipitated the strike was the firing of one of the people who had joined the union. One of the ladies um, who had joined and signed up with the union was fired. Originally, we had somewhere in the area of between 70 and 80 percent of the workers came out. And I would say the same thing applied at Hastings. The women were fantastic as far as uh, holding up and, and their sense of humor and, and, uh, and being on the picket line. I'd set the schedules up and they'd be there, rain or shine. Well, it was like any picket line. Everybody walked up and down, carried signs and, and yelled, don't be a scab. <laughs> it was pretty effective. They were keeping most of the people out. People would come, see what was going on, and then turn away. But some went through. And tempers would flare. Uh, but I think that the, the tempers that flared were not the pickets, but the people going through the line knowing in their own heart, very probably, that they were doing the wrong thing. Despite a mostly peaceful picket line, feelings sometimes run high. Picket Captain Gwendolyn Byfield calls a strikebreaker scab and rat. She is arrested, but charges are dropped. After weeks go by without a settlement, the Retail Merchants Association and their friends in the Nolan political machine decide to take a different approach. I went back over to take a line. The time I got back over there, like, like the uh, cops were are pushing our people off the street and uh, towing the automobiles away. They beat us all out of the alleys. Uh, pushed us with those damn billy clubs. I was black and blue here for months. The trucks followed right behind them, went on in and unloaded. Then they went back to get more. It wasn't bringing in strike breakers necessarily that started the general strike. You know, I thought about that a lot since that. We'd seen strike breakers. But the thing was using the police force that we were paying taxes for to beat us off our own streets. By morning, everybody had heard about what had happened. It was in the papers, and unions had heard. Everybody was very upset, and we all just went out on the streets. There was a club down there called Slim Jenkins. We were working there four nights a week when we got the call from Alex Forbes, who was our secretary business agent, that there was a general strike, and that if he had any musicians working in Oakland, that they were to immediately leave their jobs and which we did, we didn't go to work that weekend. <laughs> Al Brown was the head of the Carmen's local at that time. The streetcars were still running on Broadway. And he came down Broadway in a streetcar. And the police were out there and they then had Broadway blocked off. And he came up to the blockade and the, uh, the cop said, it's all right, you can take your streetcar through. And he said, well, what's the deal? They told him what they were doing, and he said, well, no, I've never crossed a picket line in my life, and I'm not about to now, so he climbed out, he took the controls out of the streetcar, climbed out of the streetcar, and that was it. That was the spark that started the whole thing at that particular time, because every streetcar backed up behind him, they couldn't move his streetcar. He told the buses to stop, and uh, they had an uh, emergency meeting, and uh, for three days, just about, nothing turned in Alameda County. They didn't call it general strike, but called it a work holiday. Everybody was having a good time, but the crowd was good. Uh, nothing unruly. I didn't see any liquor. Didn't see any. Well, where, where could you buy it? It was a holiday mood. It was a feeling of comradeship. It was the feeling that well, we're all together in this thing, you know. <laughs> 
and it was a good, warm, healthy feeling. It was more like what this country should be. Lay that pistol down, babe. Lay that pistol. When Sailors Union leader Harry Lunderberg delivers a fiery address to an overflow crowd at Oakland Auditorium, strike leader Bob Ash thinks that if he had asked the assembly to march to City Hall, they'd have taken the place apart. The biggest fear that we had during the general strike was we didn't want it to get out of hand. We wanted a peaceful demonstration, as peaceful as it could be. And really it was, when you stop and think that there was only the one incident of the typewriter being thrown through the window at Hastings. Outside of that, nothing really happened. We might ask one more question. How could a union leader, Teamster National Vice President Dave Beck, say the general strike was... A lot of foolishness, and more like a revolution than an industrial dispute. The general strike committee, led by Bob Ash, brings the general strike to a hasty end when Beck orders Teamster members, who'd been solidly supportive of the strike, to go back to work. Dave Beck, who are you talking about? You're talking about a man that made millions, went to prison and everything else. He never really represented these unions the way it should be represented. The CIO notified us that if it went past Thursday that they'd shut off lights and power. And I wanted to continue one more day and shut off the lights and power. Then we'd have had the whole ball of wax. But the AFL leadership was worried that intervention by militant CIO unions, representing 30,000 workers in Alameda County in utilities and heavy industry, would invite a negative public perception, since a number of communists and their sympathizers were prominent in the Northern California CIO Council. I think the old CIO, Congress of Industrial Organizations, uh, had a little bit of a, a bad taint to it at that time. J. Edgar Hoover and a few others were witch-hunting them and, and uh, working on the communist tactics and the rest of it. And we tried to keep them away from the picket line as much as possible so that we wouldn't have that sort of thing happening to us. Instead, the AFL strike committee accepts a verbal commitment from the city manager that Oakland police would no longer assist strike breaking. They end the general strike Thursday morning after 54 hours. The settlement leaves the retail clerk strike unresolved, which irritates many of their supporters, including Elizabeth Mackin. She writes a letter to Kahn's department store. It is against my principles to go through a picket line. I wish you to close out my account until you have a happier relationship with those who work for you. Despite the obvious depth of community support for the clerks, Cons and Hastings still refuse to recognize the union. Worse, the day after the general strike ends, police bring scabs through retail clerks' picket lines. Feeling betrayed, labor leaders threaten another general strike. Wait, Joe. There's a better way. Recognizing the need for unity against the Nolan forces, the AFL, the CIO, the NAACP, and other progressive community groups formed the Oakland Voters League. We had put together all the precinct maps and had these lists of people. We divided the precincts up into areas of 10 precincts. I was given a map of the precincts. I was given a list of names. I didn't know where they came from and said, go find people to cover the precincts. It was a very interesting experience. This was in uh, West Oakland, an area of mixed black and white. Building a bridge between the labor movement and minority communities, the OVL runs five candidates in the spring 1947 city council election. It all went off amazingly smoothly and was a wonderful victory when we won four out of the five candidates. 
Although this leaves the Oakland Voters League one seat short of a majority on the nine-member council, Labor's victory cracks the anti-union Nolan machine for the first time in decades. Oakland's working people have a political voice and can no longer be ignored. One result is that the week after the election, the Retail Merchants Association recognizes the retail clerks' union in all of its stores. Whoever won before in Oakland, you showed by the general strike, if you hang together, you can take anybody on. It was a, a unique experience in my life to be involved in anything with such masses of people. I was really proud of the union members that came out. It, it convinced me more than ever that the union, union was the way to go for working people. When you say what did it do for people, I think it, it, it gave them a greater sense of power. Okay, that was, uh, we call it a work holiday, <clears throat> chronicling the Oakland General Strike of 1946 and the anniversary of that, this December, um, 1946, 54, and 18, 72nd, the 72nd uh, anniversary of the Oakland General Strike. <clears throat> the film also covers the anti-labor uh, backlash of the time. During the 30s, labor unions had been very militant, and uh, the CIO unions especially. Uh, had been very militant, organizing workers who hadn't been organized before, industrial workers. And um, during the war, <coughs> World War II, wage and price controls had been put in. So as, as all these vets came back from the war, men and women, all of a sudden, you know... Um, the anti-union forces, anti-labor forces, saw their opening. They passed things like the Taft-Hartley Law. Um, you had to sign an oath that you weren't a communist. A lot of the best organizers, especially in the CIO, were blackballed because of Communist Party affiliation. Now, one example was given there was Herb Sorrell. And uh, the... Forces of capital just realize that, you know, these vets are coming back from war. They've fought against fascism. So the strategy was to associate those people with Soviet Russia, that these people were agents of a, a uh, foreign power, which was so ridiculous. People in the 30s who had been involved in social movements were labeled premature anti-fascists. Okay, and their activities before the war, trying to make the world a better place by organizing, were uh, they were uh, all the, the only question was not what you'd been doing, but were you a member of the party or were you a fellow traveler? What they called a dupe. 
and uh, the real people, the real people who were involved in, in, in like dealing with fascists during the war, having uh, deals with Nazi Germany uh, during World War II. And one of those was the ancestor of the Bush family. Prescott Bush, these people were business people who did business with Nazi Germany. There were oil companies that ignored an embargo that the U.S. placed on, de on trading with one or the other sides in, during the Spanish War. These, these oil companies went ahead and sold oil to Franco, but they wouldn't sell oil to the Republic. So all these things, but after the war was over, it was turned around. The bad people were not those guys, not the capitalists who'd been doing business, but people that they labeled as communists who'd been trying to make the world better. It was quite a turnaround. Um, check out Richard Wolff on this. I just heard him uh, give a good analysis. So, yeah, Oakland General Strike, 1946. There once was a union maid who never was afraid of the goons and the gigs and the company flicks and the deputy sheriffs who made the raid. She went to the union hall when the meeting it was called. And when those company boys came round, she always stood her ground. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Fight the union way. Oh, you can't 
I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die.
Okay. I want to play one more uh, about Mississippi. They did it again in Mississippi. They did it again. They elected a woman with 54% of the vote, a woman who had posed in Confederate uniforms and gear, and who said this was the best of Mississippi history, in other words, the Confederacy. She had made jokes about attending a public hanging, claimed afterward that that's just a turn of speech, talking about a public hanging in Mississippi. Hello. Made jokes about limiting the votes of liberal people. What can you say? God damn. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. Everybody knows about Mississippi. God damn. Alabama's got me so upset. Lurleen Wallace has made me lose my rest. Everybody knows about Mississippi. God damn. Can't you see it? I know you can feel it. It's all in the Me so upset, and Memphis has made me lose my rest. Everybody knows about Mississippi. Hound dogs on my trail, little school children sitting in jail. Black cat crossed my path. I think every day's gonna be my last. Lord have mercy on this land of mine. We all gonna get it in due time. Cause I don't belong here, I don't belong there. I've even stopped believing in prayer. Washing the windows, picking the cotton, nothing but rotten, too damn lazy, thinking's crazy. Where am I going? What am I doing? I don't know. I don't know. Just try to do my very best. Stand up, be counted with all the rest. Cause everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn Now you heard him He's one of you If you have been moved at all And you know my songs at all For God's sakes join me Don't sit back there The time is too late now Good God, you know, 
the king is dead. The king of love is dead. I ain't about to be none violent, honey. Oh, Whoa, dude. Picket lines, schoolboy cops. They try to say it's a communist plot. But all I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. And I loved him because he believed it. He lived by it. But you lied to me all these years. You told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady. And you stopped calling my mama and Sadie. Hear me now. But my country is full of lies. anymore keep on saying go slow that's just the trouble Let me uh, amend my statement about Mississippi. <clears throat> I prefaced by saying, well, they did it again, okay? 54% of the people voted for this woman who had been overtly racist, who had made overtly racist comments, kept saying they were jokes. The last two or three weeks of the campaign, her handlers told her just to shut up. Right? And, you know, said she didn't want to offend anybody. Well, of course she did. She didn't care about offending. Anyway, what I want to say is that there were 46% of the people in Mississippi who didn't vote for her. So that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing for everybody, especially for Mississippi. It's so time for America to grow up and become what she is. Okay, we talked a little bit about labor news. And uh, it's about 11 o'clock right now. So we're going to take a little break 
and we'll come back with some labor news about the Marriott strike, about the teacher's strike at a charter school, and uh, radio labor and a few other things. This is Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, San Francisco. And El Mero Mero, the heart of Okay, let's come back now. That was a little jazz, courtesy of Arlene. UC Sweatshop Rally. This is a UC-wide rally, November 28th. A coalition of organizations and students from all nine UCs sent UC-wide demands to their chancellors. UC Regents, President Janet Napolitano, and UC Labor Relations. Among these demands included to honor and meet the coming student demands by those directly impacted from the assault inflicted on students and workers from a UC Davis official on October 25th, 2018. The last day of AFSCME 3299 strike. Here are demands and footage from what happened. On Thursday, October 18th, 20, uh, 25th, 2018, a group of 16 students and workers were violently attacked by a University of California Davis manager, where these individuals were picketing outside the Tercero Dining Commons in support of ASSCME 3299's three-day strike. An individual aggressively attempted to drive his truck through the picket line as he repeatedly honked to scare the picketers. As we continued to picket, the driver became increasingly angry and paused to make a phone call. Check it out. It's on Facebook on the Labor and Love Radio site. Here are some sounds from that demonstration. Hey, you get the fuck out of hey, the way. Steve, come, come on in. Stop moving away. Come on in right now. What are you doing? That's open up. Hold down. Hey, hey, hey. Get the fuck out. Get out of my way. Don't get into it. Don't get into it. Don't get into it. 
Okay, this guy attacked UC Davis students who were on the picket line. Uh, he wanted to get through. <coughs> but they didn't. They didn't get out of his way. FSC 3299 strike. Not settled yet. Charter school strike? Hell yeah. This is in Chicago. Money for schools, money for books. No more money for corporate crooks on the picket line against the charter school bosses. The chant was one of many that rang out this week on the picket lines outside of Carlos Fuentes Elementary School in Chicago's Avondale neighborhood. As educators in the Acero, formerly known as UNO Network of Charter Schools, went on strike December 4th. And again we repeat, don't worry about the existence of unions because the conditions that make people want to get into unions are always going to be there, as long as there's capitalism, as long as there's greed. These people are teachers. They're not supposed to be unionized. They're not supposed to join unions. They're supposed to be private employees. But the conditions of their work drive them into unionization. The historic strike, the first against a charter operator in the U.S., involved some 500 members of United Teachers for Justice, a division of the Chicago Teachers Union Alliance of Charter Teachers and Staff at 15 school sites in the city. With just 11% of charter educators unionized nationally, the implications for the strike in an in industry where the watchword is bringing the free market in and keeping the unions out in order to offer supposed alternative to public education, our mayor. The teachers are fighting for better compensation, a shorter school day, and smaller class sizes. Issues familiar to the public school teachers across the country who have walked off the job over the past year to fight for what they deserve. As he picketed Acero's headquarters during an afternoon rally on December 4th, Andy Crooks said that UE educators and staff have a fundamental ethical difference about what matters in education with the Acero management. It's a philosophical difference, he explained, what we are arguing is that we have students in our classrooms and what Acero is telling us is that those students are dollar signs and they need the dollars and we need the time with our students. Acero was forced to cancel classes, extracurricular activities and athletics as the strike began and encouraged parents to keep kids at home or find other places for them during the day though some school buildings were being kept open and parents were allowed to drive kids 
off to be supervised by non-union staff. They claim, like all employers claim, it cannot afford the demands of the UEA educators. But they could look at the salary of CEO Richard Rodriguez for a start. Rodriguez's pay clocks in at a whopping $260,000 a year. More than the salary of the CEO of Chicago Public Schools, who oversees 43 times the number of students. Rodriguez blamed the strike on, guess what? Outside interest, outside agitators. There is absolutely no good reason to put students and parents through the upheaval of a strike. The sad fact is that interests from outside our community are using our students and our schools as a means to advance their national anti-charter platform. Okay, that's on the socialistworker.org. Check it out. San Francisco Marriott. Let's see. Let's read this one. San Francisco Marriott. These workers have been on strike now for nearly two months. And this is uniting food, farm, and hotel workers worldwide. Striking members of Unite Here at Seven Marriott, San Francisco hotels voted overwhelmingly to approve a new agreement after two months on the picket line. Closing nine weeks of strikes at Marriott involving close to 8,000 workers across the country. Over 100 union members in San Francisco alone were arrested for engaging in civil disobedience and public protest actions. Over the past two weeks, the union successfully reached agreement with broadly similar results in other cities. The agreements bring increased wages over the life of the four-year contract with important increases for housekeepers, the most poorly paid, and reduced workloads. Reductions in subcontracting and improvements in medical benefit and pensions. Uh, So a big win. Protection for staff exposed to the risk of sexual harassment is significantly enhanced. There are so many people, men, hotel guests who go and think that the workers there are there for their pleasure. And of course, it's always in situations where they're isolated. So it's hard to get help. This is something that will be improved under this agreement. At-risk workers must now be equipped with panic buttons and offending guests will be evicted and banned. The arrangements provide a framework 
for negotiating the introduction and impact of new technologies. Unite Here has warmly thanked the IUF for the solidarity and support of affiliates around the world in the course of the long struggle. Well, all right. about another Huey Lewis in the news. My sisters can't agree on anything.
sounds good Forget I'm not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still
And that set featured uh, Linda Ronstadt, of course, with Back in the USA, a final nod, a nod to the great Chuck Berry, who uh, anniversary of his death was last month. Back in the USA, have things changed in the USA? Anything you want, we got it right here in the USA. Well, the guy who ran over the uh, demonstrator in Charlottesville and killed her was uh, convicted of first-degree murder. Anything you want, we got it right here in the USA. Before that, we had uh, Natalie Maines, not ready to make nice, and she, of course, is referring to the controversy that was caused when... uh, She dared to uh, say they were ashamed to be from Texas because President Bush was from Texas and he had just begun a war in Iraq. And of course, she had a bad backlash from that. We are still in America, back in the USA. So she was referring to that. And before that, Huey Lewis, working for a living, taking what they're giving, working for a living. All right, next on the next on the playlist, we want to look at Radio Labor. Okay, Radio Labor is our weekly world labor news. All right, let's see. This is Radio Labor. Radio Labor's not playing here. What do we got? This is Solid.
This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, December 7th, 2018. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, unionists at the Global Congress of the International Trade Union Confederation, rights for indigenous people, a just transition for workers affected by climate change, organizing, and more. Plus, the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. The International Trade Union Confederation held its fourth World Congress in Copenhagen, Denmark this week, with more than a thousand unionists attending. Here's one of those delegates, Lorez Park, an indigenous leader from New Zealand. Matafaura is my mountain, Oho is my river, Ngati Pikiao are my people. My mountain greets your mountain, my river greets your river, and my people through me greet you. Ngamihi mai oha, katoa. Just transition is a framework practiced by Indigenous peoples and co-opted by the trade union movement to encompass protecting and supporting the interests of the working people in the transition to a new carbon future. A future that includes new technologies, globalisation and democratic shifts that will impact on all our lives. A just transition process needs to be fair, equitable and inclusive, which means careful planning with communities, regions and sectors. Working people in unions understand that the effects of climate change will not be evenly felt, but will impact most harshly on poor and vulnerable populations, which includes Indigenous and First Nations people of the world. Remember, Matafaura is my mountain, Oho is my river, and Ngāti Pikiao are my people. And like all Indigenous people, we must be heard. Tēnā koutou katoa. Another delegate attending the ITUC's Congress in Copenhagen was Bilan Akte from the Canadian Labour Congress. Our labour movement has a responsibility to fight for justice for all marginalised peoples in our workplaces and in our communities. And I believe that in order to build a movement that is rooted in worker power, then we must be united in our advocacy for the human rights of all workers. Because without justice for women workers, Justice for LGBTQ2SI workers, justice for trans workers, justice for workers with disabilities, justice for indigenous workers, justice for workers of color, justice for Muslim workers, justice for migrant workers, and justice for refugee workers. If we are not fighting for the justice for, and liberation and freedom for all workers, then we are not truly building a movement. And as a young woman, as a young worker, as a worker of color, as a black worker, and as a Muslim daughter of refugees, I know 
that I am done waiting for meaningful action. I salute all of you for the work that you do every single day to build this global labor movement. And I know that united, we have the power to not only change the rules, but to completely rewrite them and build a better planet that cares for us all. Thank you all very much. Solidarity. Also speaking at the Congress, which was held from December 2nd to 7th, was Mpudu Chipolemi from the Zambia Congress of Trade Unions. We need a different economic governance. The current rules are killing our economic growth. So rules must change. Yes, we need to think about how we can make our society more democratic. There is a general feeling that the African countries are sufficiently democratic. Are they? I would say they are not sufficiently democratic. Together, we are strong. Together, we should continue to fight for the next 100 years to make Africa a better place to live in and an African continent that should stand for our values as workers. I want to remind you, dear colleagues, that our constituency that we represent is being further pushed into poverty. Recent trends show that democracy has unfortunately favored capital more than the workers and the poor. Our campaign to end corporate greed has made us as trade unions stand with the most exploited vulnerable. And it should be our resolve in this Congress to remain determined to build a better world for workers, which at the moment represents deeply entrenched injustices of global economic systems alongside shrinking democratic space and deteriorating labor rights. I am convinced together we can do it we have a proud history to look back to. And now, from this Congress, we must make a proud future to look forward to. Another delegate at the ITUC Congress was Paddy Crumlin, the president of the International Transport Workers Federation, the ITF. We are now uh, 30 years after the collapse of the world in a neoliberalist world where there hasn't been a new methodology, where equity and social justice doesn't exist, where we don't have the delivery of peace and not war, where workers, working men and women are more under threat than ever before, where we are linking the mines with the manufacturing, through the supply chain, back into retail, across our global society and our global community, where our infrastructure is being sold, being privatised, where we fight every day for the right to strike, every day. And the ITUC has been standing next to my union, the ITF, in all of its manifestations to get that right to strike. It doesn't get done by rhetoric. It gets done because you go and challenge your governments. It gets done because you organise workers. It gets done because you give people working men and women the vision that they deserve. Let's go out there and work how we get the right to strike. 
My union's getting sued by 100 million, for $100 million by a multinationals because we know what the right to strike is. We work off the job and then we challenge the law afterwards. We do it through action. We do it through determination. We do it through courage. And we do it through unity. I appeal to the ITUC. There is no political force in this world today that exists for equity, social justice, for the future, for clean energy, for a transitional economy, except you. Assume your responsibilities. Now, we have a saying in my ITF, I say union, you say power. So come on, everybody, I say union, you say power. Union. Union. You can do better than that. Lift your hands from South America, from Central America, from North America, from Africa, from Europe. Lift your hands, lift your feet. I say union, you say power. Union. Union. Now let's get on with the bloody job. Sharon Burrow, a teacher from Australia, was re-elected as the General Secretary of the ITUC. Ms. Burrow was elected as the ITUC's first woman General Secretary in 2010. She was re-elected to the position at the 2014 ITUC Congress in Berlin. Delegates, our world is fractured and people feel insecure. Conflict, dictatorship, fascism, the extremes battled in the last century are again the battles of today. Fundamental rights are under attack in every region. The levers of the global economy are in the wrong hands and the consequences for billions of people are poverty, insecurity and the loss of trust. Indeed, the loss of hope. It will take intergenerational and international solidarity of workers power, workers' power, to win the fight for peace, democracy, rights and justice. This is how we can create the world we want. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the union protests led by the Argentinian CTA at the G20 meeting in Argentina, how migrants are contributing to the struggles of all Australian workers, and the possible imprisonment of five Cambodian union activists for having led a garment workers' strike in 2013. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Construction workers at a large project in Mozambique held the latest in a series of strikes after managers announced that there would be no Christmas and New Year's break in their work. Sugar plantation workers in Guyana stopped work to press their demand for a wage increase. Miners from across Bulgaria took a day to march through the country's capital, demanding a just transition as coal mines are scheduled to be closed. Rich South Africans were behind their own wheels as their chauffeurs struck for a living wage this week. The Nigerian National Assembly was occupied by parliamentary workers upset with the slow pace of negotiations for a new collective agreement. Costa Rican public sector workers ended an 86-day walkout after the government succeeded in passing its so-called fiscal reform package, long delayed by a series of strikes. 
Sri Lankan tea garden workers and South African miners were demanding a living wage and decent housing. And a two-year-long lockout at a Canadian aerospace manufacturing facility ended this week. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the national women's strike against domestic violence in Israel and a global survey demonstrating how men underestimate how many women are subjected to routine sexual harassment in the workplace. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the workplace ban on high-heeled shoes in the Canadian province of Alberta and the release of the final tally of the human cost of Istanbul's new airport. 52 dead workers, more than 1,000 seriously injured, and 35 in prison for protesting those deaths and injuries. Currently, LabourStart is running four online actions in solidarity with workers facing repression and even torture and death for their union activism. Take just a few minutes out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from LabourStart, reporting for Radio Labour. Now here is Labour's world anthem, the Internationale, sung in Danish. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, that was uh, Radio Labor. And... uh, had a statement here that I wanted to read. Let's see. This is a statement that I'm having a hard time finding it. I'll, once I find it, I'll, I'll play it for you. Okay. Let's look at. Working class history. Okay. Oh no, here it is. Really. So listen to this. this is by someone named Jesse Memmer. I don't know who or where Jesse Memmer is. 
It's on a website called Really American, and it goes like this. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. The whole wall, deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to the vast income equality and resource price inflation in combination with wave stagnation. Please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Amen. Look behind all the the headlines and all this controversy. What's going on is that working people are being divided against one another. Now, in France, people are fighting back. This is on Popular Resistance website. France has been rocked in recent weeks by nationwide protests. Demonstrators wearing the high-visibility yellow vests that motorists are required by law to carry in their cars have blocked roads, gas stations, torn down signs, torn up paving stones, and set up barricades. The protests have been most visible in urban areas where luxury cars have been set on fire. Some car crashes related to the blockades have resulted in deaths. Police have responded violently with tear gas, water cannons, and pepper spray. Hundreds of demonstrators have been injured. The motive of the yellow vest demonstrators is often attributed simply to a new fuel tax, but the reality is more complicated than that. You might think a new French Revolution is currently underway. Well, it is to some extent. But to grasp the real significance of the social unrest going on, it is necessary to stop for a moment and closely analyze this so-called movement of the yellow vests. The announcement of a price take on fuel, enough is enough. Anyway, go ahead and read it. It's on Popular Resistance website, and it would be good to understand exactly what's going on in France. Okay, about time for us to get out of here. Um, and we used to go out with the Internacional. Now we played the Internacional. Now, now, well, let's play this one by our uh, favorite conscientious objector. You know, the blues speak of so many things. This is the B signing off. 
Hope you're having a good week and good work. Wish you that for the coming week. Hello to everybody out there. You know who you are. I love you. The various nations of the earth. Talking to Vita. I hope the time goes by quickly while we're apart and slowly when we're with one another. Hello, everybody out there. Sylvia, my soulmate in the whole game at 271. Have created miracles. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're probably on the menu. In fact, I can guarantee it. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio... Where the labor meets the road. Goodbye and good work. But it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense. When you can't make peace. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz. 
Live DJs Thursday. Parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Yeah. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, punk rock and schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi. 
Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. (laughs) All on my limited view. Yes, every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, Oh, you can can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, and Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God, there's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Oh, now you're 
Friday night. Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the 4th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, 5 days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, 5 days, amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. It's special Tuesday afternoon version that's going to be subbed in on Saturday, so 